Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Almost Better Than Silence. I'm your host, Doug Coleman, and I'm here today with the other co-host, Brendan McCullough. And we have a special guest, John Gabris, comedian. Uh, you might know him from Guy Code. He's appeared on podcasts, Comedy Bang Bang. He has his own podcast, High and Mighty, on the HeadGum Network. Uh, how are you doing, John? I'm doing wonderful. How about you boys? Huh? <laughs> Thrilled to have you on. Great. I'm pumped to be here. I know almost nothing about your podcast, which excites me in a number of ways. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, hey, we'll get to mutually learn about each other. Um, but for our listener, let's start them off there. Uh, can you give them a little background on who you are and what you do? Uh, me, I am a uh, white, cisgendered, heterosexual male comic, you know, finally <laughs> offering that point of view. And Oh, um, God, it's such a you know niche market that we don't hear from enough. It's a breath of fresh air in today's, uh, a little too diverse if you ask me. <laughs> just in case your listeners don't know, I am being sarcastic. In that moment, I just backpedaled off my own <laughs> Maybe if they don't know me, I should chill out with that. Um, I am a comedian or actor or writer, depending on what day of the week it is. And as for today, I am a podcast host slash podcast guest slash dog walker as I walk my dog three times a day. Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah, four times a day, but one the fourth walk is called Peeps Real Quick, and we just run outside and pee and run back in. Oh, There's no <laughs> leashes or anything. <laughs> do you do it in tandem? Yeah, we, I just drop a quick dump on the front lawn, he kisses, <laughs> and we run back in. He, wipe, he wipes me, I dab him, we're ready to go. <laughs> so a nice strong bonding moment between father and dog. <laughs> it's important for us. <laughs> nice. Well, I guess comedy kind of led to the podcasting or maybe i'm wrong in assuming that but can we get a little information on where your comedy journey began sure i've always been a comedy nerd uh since i was like a child uh and not like not like a snobby nerd but like i saw you know i watched hot shots 50 times when I was like, <laughs> <laughs> the quality stuff yeah i was into the good stuff um yeah. And uh, so I just was a big comedy fan my whole life. I was always a little bit of a class clown. I was kind of a funny kid. And then when I went to college, uh, I stumbled upon a comedy group, uh, like a campus comedy group, and started doing improv and sketch through them. And then heard, uh, like heard about this TV show I like called Upright Citizens Brigade that they taught uh, improv classes in this New York City, which I happen to live near and go to school near. So I was like, fuck it. I'll start taking classes there. That could be fun. And then I got a job working in the city in uh, at VH1 as like a PA and kept taking improv classes and going to see shows and doing shows. And that sort of eventually at some point I was like, well, I don't, now I just want to try to do this for money too. And I, that was a dumb mistake, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> turns out that's a little harder than I thought. This is pretty web videos and pretty all that shit. So I didn't oh, yeah. even know what, I didn't even know really what to do. So I was just coaching improv, teaching improv and auditioning and stuff. And then, over the course of the time, I've just built up enough little things here and there that, you know, I gained some notoriety and uh, was teaching at the uh, UCB and making some money that way and stayed alive for a long period of time doing that and then got shows like Guy Code. I hosted a couple of game shows for MTV. I've guest starred on a couple of different shows, recurred on some things like that and just sort of. Uh, I'm always like, you know, like my agent or manager would be like, so what do you really want to do? And I can't answer that question. So it's not like, I wish I could do something like campaign to get Gabris to host the Late Late Show or something, but I don't even know what I really want to do. So it's more like campaign to <laughs> keep me employed, uh, <laughs> but where I still get to sleep till nine. You know? Oh, oh totally. Living the dream. <laughs> yeah, it's about, honestly, like, 
I'm happy. I've been very happy with my career for about six years because I haven't had to wait tables or bartend anymore. That's like the win. Um, so I can't. That's all I ever wanted. So I'm. I'm. I guess I'm succeeding now. More would be good. You know, maybe a house. Maybe maybe a little pool. Maybe an outdoor shower. Maybe a squat rack. Those are like aspirational goals, but I don't have any real career goals. <laughs> nice. I feel like half of those you could get while you're homeless. An outdoor shower, a squat rack, depending on what you mean by squat. Like, yeah. <laughs> you'll hold on to it while you squat and do your business outside. Well, I guess personally, where I first uh, found out about you was from the po- Comedy Bang Bang podcast and your character, Gino. Um, can you explain how you first, I guess, got involved in that project and where that character came from? Sure. Um, I moved to, uh, from New York to LA about four and a half years ago. And I was trying to, you know, work my way up in the LA comedy scene. There's a UCB out here, but you know, they have their stalwarts. They've had their people that have been around for a while. So I was just doing shows and stuff. And then I guess I kind of Neil, Cam- I've done Ask Cat a few times with Neil Campbell, who's buddies with Ackerman or someone recommended me to Scott. I guess Scott was like, I need some new people. And to do uh, bits on Comedy Bang Bang, who's like up and coming at UCB. And I guess since I had been doing it for a while in New York, he brought me on and I kind of like, I'm not a very good character person, like uh, with voices or maintaining characters' points of view and stuff. Yeah. So I was like, let me find somebody that would be easy to maintain um, and easy to improvise as. And I was like, well, the one accent I can do is my actual awful New York accent that I've done. <laughs> that I train away and only comes out when I'm super drunk. So I figured um, I'll do like a Long Island based character. And then I always liked the idea that because I grew up listening to shock jock radio, like my, my family we listen to open Anthony and Howard like every day. So I was, so it was funny that like podcasts, podcasts seem like they came out of nowhere with like talk radio. Yeah. You know, like they, they kind of hold themselves to like a standard of like, yeah, we're doing something different. It's like, you're just, the software is different. The, the shit is still the same. Yeah. And so I thought it would be funny to be a guy who's like a real radio fan and doesn't really understand podcasting. <laughs> uh, on a recent, like on the last year's best of Scott gave me a shout out and he like quoted it. He quoted himself as saying like, yeah, he pitched me the character. He's like, I want to be a guy who's like really an Opie and Anthony. <laughs> and Scott was like, I don't know about this. And, <laughs> and then I, I guess I did a decent job. Cause I think I've done now, um, uh, maybe eight appearances on Comedy Bang Bang, maybe more, because I did some live shows that are on Howl and stuff. Um, and so I, I just enjoy, I really enjoy Ackerman. He's like such a cool dude and such a fun guy to hang out with. And getting to improvise as Gino, which is sort of like my id, and getting to improvise as him with super funny people that come through and getting to meet people I really like look up to through that show has been great. Oh, totally. And was that like the first podcast on the Earwolf Network that you uh, did work with, so to speak? I know that you also appeared on other shows that they do. Yeah, I think Improv for Humans was actually my first appearance because Besser knew me before I moved out here. Okay. Because he ran the theater, so he's always kind of known uh, known what I was up to. Oh, cool. And, uh, oh, so the, the, the cool thing was that Comedy Bang Bang was the first thing that I was ever a longtime fan of that was then asked to do. Wow. Yeah. So that was like the first time in my career I was like, oh, things are going pretty well because I've been listening to this podcast on the F train in Brooklyn for fucking three years and now I get to be on it. Oh, that's so like cool. Knowing, and knowing like having favorite characters and stuff and then 
getting to do an episode with, I'm sorry, I'm closing windows because landscapers are nearby. <laughs> no worries. So I'm screaming in my office. <laughs> but getting to do episodes with people like Nick Kroll and Mansukis and Horatio and all like my favorite people like that. So it's such a fun thing to be able to drop in and be part of it. Yeah, so did you make a lot of friends that way, and was it a really big way of networking and opening the door for you as a comedian? Um, Not so much as a comedian, but definitely as uh, garnering listeners to eventually listen to my podcast or follow me on Twitter or see some of the stuff I've done. Because yeah. comedy nerds and podcast nerds, these guys, are, uh, these guys and gals are intense in the positive way. They are like, they'll listen to everything you've ever appeared on, overanalyze it. It's the same thing as like the throwback to talking about talk radio again. That's somebody that's in your ear talking directly into your brain for an hour a week or more, you know? And it's yeah. like, that's such a strong connection. What's the movie, um, the Terry Gilliam movie, Fisher King, um, where uh, I think it's uh, Jeff Bridges plays a, uh, or Jeff Daniels, I forget. I get them all confused. <laughs> uh, Jeff Bridges Jeff. plays, yeah, he plays a, a shock jock who becomes depressed because somebody kills people in the name of him because he's like a shock jock who's talking and he riles up this killer who then kills some people and then he gets super depressed from it. And it's just like, that's the kind of shit like podcast, like podcast fans are legion because it's like directly into your brain and so personal. Yeah. Like a stand-up show, you're still in a communal audience. Granted, if a podcast has a hundred thousand listeners, you're listening alone. Often like, so if you're just spending 50 hours a year with someone, listening to them just talking, not even responding to anything you're saying, that that develops a strong relationship or a strong fandom. I don't know the best word that I'm looking for there, but... I think that was a pretty good word for it. I, I know what obsession. you're going for. Yeah, obsession, so to speak. <laughs> so then when, you when, when people like you for Gina Lombardo and you're like, I'm starting a podcast, they get super pumped and they're like, all right, I'm a... And I'm a fan of podcasts already because I'm a listener. So I'll go, I'll follow you along to this. Oh, what's this? How did this get made? Oh, cool. Oh, this person's a guest on this. This person has a podcast. Like you just, you know. That's exactly how it is. Yeah. You just keep fucking, uh, you know, the rabbit hole. Like, you know, when you're like 12 deep on a Wikipedia article or like uh, you're on your friend of a friend's of a friend's Instagram looking at bathing suit pictures or something. <laughs> <laughs> you accidentally. You like the one picture from five years ago, and you go, oh, fuck. You delete the whole account and start fresh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, this is going to backfire. I like the Halloween costume in April. They know. I have to fake my own death now and change my identity. <laughs> but no, I know what you mean, because, like, for instance, when I would see certain guests on Comedy Bang Bang, when I'd find out they had their own podcast, it was like, hell yes, that's something else to listen to. So, like, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm, I'm one of those podcast nerds. Yeah, and especially people who have desk jobs where they, like, need to work, like, they can work alone, like, coders or people like that. Yep, that's me. Yeah, so you can just jam on podcasts all day long. So it's like adding another hour a week is not a big deal if you're listening to, like, five or six hours a day. It's like, all right, cool, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll listen to ten episodes and see if I get on board. Exactly. Oh, uh, yeah, I used to be a produce guy at Target, and I'd backstock, like, freezers and stuff listening to podcasts, and I'd lose track of time in there, and I'd come out still listening to a podcast while I'm on the floor. So I'd be like, excuse me, where's the cheese? I'm like, nah, don't care anymore. I got CPB <laughs> on right now. I didn't have that job for too long, but <laughs> all no I care loss. is about all I care about now is Adnan. Get out of the way. I got <laughs> the Best Buy payphone. I, it's the it's the clue. 
So here's one of the most important questions I have for you. Uh, so was your you being on podcasts uh, what inspired you to start your own podcast, or was there like a demand for it? How did that all s- start? Um, I I always thought podcasts were cool. Like I always thought at some point maybe a career option for me would be like a radio guy because I love to talk and I could fill hours of just bullshit. I have a million opinions that no one cares for so i could spew them at any given moment which is perfect for podcasting and so i was like trying to figure out what a podcast would be and earwolf are very comedy focused podcasts and i didn't really want to add like labor to my life you know i was like oh the coolest thing about podcasts is that they are pretty simple like being a guest on an improv podcast or like your podcast where i'm talking about myself means i get to pop in no research no like i don't have to worry but if i'm running my own like comedy podcast where I got to like come up with bits, book guests and stuff. I was like, I don't want that. So I found sort of like an in-between and I knew it wouldn't work for Earwolf for me to be like playing myself and conversing with people. Cause they're more of a, uh, sh- like high concept sort of podcasting place. Sure. So I was like, I don't know when I'll ever do this. And then my friends, Jake and Amir, um, hosts of the, if I were you podcast, or if you were ever a college humor fan, um, they had a long running web series these guys were launching a network after learning so much about podcasting. They were like, there's so many funny comics we're friends with that don't have podcasts because they don't want to do the labor or don't know how easy it is. And they just came to me and they were like, dude, if you want to do a podcast, we'll just try to get you ads. We'll get you a studio. We'll get you an engineer. We'll tell you how to do everything. You could be a guest on our podcast to launch it. You already have a bit of a following. And I was like, oh yeah, this would be fun. And then as I brainstormed ideas for what my podcast would be, I had so many disparate likes. I was like, oh, it'd be fun to do. Like some of the pitches were like a fitness podcast hosted by a fat guy. <laughs> uh, which is, and then my, uh, or like I was like, like a di- I want to call a workshop, uh, one called John Gabris's Diversity Workshop, where I interview like uh, minorities and, uh, and and stuff like that and try to give my uh, obnoxious white guy spin on all that shit. And then I was like, that's stupid. Then I was like, oh, it'd be fun to talk about food. I love food. Oh, it'd be fun to talk about movies, action movies. And I was like, oh, fuck it. What if I just did whatever I wanted? And it's sort of a ripoff of, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin show hosted mm-hmm. by Jeff Rubin, also on the HeadGum Network, but for a long time was on Split Cider and all this. Uh, he was a friend of mine from College Humor. I started listening to his podcast, and it is pretty much just whatever he's into. So it's like he interviews video game guys, he interviews uh, baseball umpire, like anything that he thought would be an interesting interview. And I kind of just got caught up in that, and I'm like, oh, that's what I want to do. Sort of rip that off. So it's I have no real conceit to the show, which is sort of a cop-out in a fun way. Oh, so that's the exact premise of our show. It's called Almost Better Than Silence, where it's basically, you shouldn't have high expectations, but we, we just interview whoever the hell we want and talk about video games, and it, it's worked out pretty well for us. <laughs> well, it started with video game developers, and it's quickly devolved into just whoever the hell we can get a hold of. Oh, yeah. Well, I, on, personally, for me, it's people that I admire. So we now we can add comedians to the list cause, since we have you, but we've had bands on... Uh, and mostly game developers, like Bren said. But uh, in, in general, so here's my main question about your show, High and Mighty. Where did that intro come from? I absolutely love it. I think it's the most funny thing ever, and it honestly is what draw, like, drew me in as soon as I heard your podcast. I'm like, this guy's hilarious. It's, what's up, shitheads? It's me, your number one fuckboy. Where, where did you come up with that, and why did it stick? <laughs> why did it stick is a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> it arguably shouldn't have. Um, 
So the What's Up Shitheads came from, there was a period of time when I started doing stand-up that I thought a fun test would be to call the audience shitheads or make fun of the audience right when I walk out and then try to dig my way out of it. Like (laughs) some sort of like weird, overly complicated self-burn. So I was running around trying to get stand-up going and I would scream like, What's up, shitheads? And I thought it was such a funny thing to introduce, like, to say shithead. It's not something you hear all too often anymore, because curses of, like, shithead is almost, you know, PG at this point. <laughs> so yeah. it was, like, and I like that word a lot. And if you look at it spelled out, it doesn't look like, if you don't make a space in between shit and head, the word looks insane. It's like <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, actually, on my questions. <laughs> yeah, it says shithead. So it's like a funny, <laughs> like, there's something about that word, and it's stuck in my head. And then fuckboy didn't even come out until like episode like a later episode like eight or later on i was just like it's me your boy and i was obsessed with like boat boat like the uh reggaeton like dance hall boy like (laughs) and i remember hearing fuckboy somewhere like that was when the slang started that that term kind of entered the lexicon yeah Mm -hmm. super excited by it i was like this is a really funny word to be a fuckboy so i was like i'm the fuckboy fuck and we just scream shit like that then I had my buddy Cypher Sounds on to talk about uh, he's a hot ni- ex-Hot 97 DJ turned comic and uh, hip-hop DJ. And he was like, do you know what a fuckboy is? And I was like, no, it's like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like the African-American slang for douchebag. He's like, it means someone who goes to prison and like fucks everybody. I was like, yep. oh, okay, well, <laughs> now I don't. And then I just doubled down on it. I was like, now I can't drop it. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> I remember just like, I forget where I was browsing the internet somewhere and I saw like a gif of someone getting the straight razor shave like of their beard. And I was just thinking like, oh man, that'd be a great, like just to feel that once by someone who's professional and knows how to do that. And it looks so smooth. And then they kept going and I didn't realize it, but it was a gif about them making fuck boys. It was a bunch of guys like getting super dialed up and I can only describe them as fuck boys. Like, and it's just like, <laughs> I mean, you can be into whatever you want, but like though. They look like male prostitutes. Oh, God. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, the main reason Fuckboy stuck was because people started tweeting at me. Listeners started tweeting at me like, what's up, Fuckboy? I'm <laughs> one Fuckboy. And I was like, oh, okay. That sounds fun to me. I'm like, it's sticking. And I didn't hate saying it. And I thought it was kind of fun. Now it feels weird when I have a guest on who like I idolize. Like I had Horatio Sands on recently. Oh, God. One of my favorite comedians of all time. And I'm like. Fuck boy! Like doing all this shit in front of him, like I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's even funnier though, because it just establishes like what your show is all about and the audience you have. I don't know personally. I think it should definitely stay stuck because it's fucking hilarious. So and uh, it's great for the first time listener when they first like are like, oh, what's this show about? And they hear that. That's fantastic. And I think part of it that might be kind of helpful is. Um, it kind of shows the guest who maybe has never been on the episode before, like the kind of energy that's going to be coming in and maybe gets them a little warmed up when, but when like right before I start talking to them, I'm screaming and calling myself a fuck boy. So they kind of know this is the kind of shit we're going to get, get into. (laughs) Definitely. Um, So Brent, do you have any questions? I'll let you ask a few. I feel like I'm stealing the show as usual. Sure. You said that you started stand up a bit and, you know, primarily sketch and improv. I've, I also did the stand-up group in college as well, and I know a ton of my friends have since moved to New York, and some of them are involved with UCB now. But, like, have you ever seen anyone who clearly can navigate both stand-up and sketch or improv? Like, it's 
it's weird how similar they can be, but yet how diverse that almost no one can seem to master both. Yeah, it's a matter of like people don't seem to want to master both. Like there are people who do very well at both. Mm-hmm. And I bet you there are a lot of stand-ups who, if they just got rid of the, sti- the stigma they carry towards improv, they would be very good at it. But then there are a lot of improvisers who are very just funny on their own and can really crush at a mic. Like, I, w- I don't know if Thomas Middleditch really, what he does is really considered stand-up, but the- I've seen the dude do, you know, solo mic stuff, and it's fucking amazing. Joe Wanger, it's a, a great stand-up comedian. Um... Uh, Mike Birbiglia is a good improviser. You know, Chris Gethard does improv and stand-up well. Matt Besser does improv and stand-up well. Sean Conroy. There's a lot of people who do both. And it's a lot of, for for me, it seems like a lot of people who were just like kind of started doing both around the same time. Because e- either camp will sort of um, echo chamber and lock up your POV about the other. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people get started in stand-up there's like a negative stigma to improv and it's like goofy and stupid and it's childish. And then improv people are like stand up kids never as pure and as real as coming up. Like for me, it's doing both. They're both very rewarding, very funny. I enjoy doing improv more because I'm lazy and I'm already good at it. Stand up is like very hard. You're alone. You should be writing jokes. It requires discipline. It requires repetition. So does improv. But I started improv when I was 18, and I started trying stand-up when I was, like, 29, so it's a little different. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gotcha. It was, like, the nerd that studies, like, for months on end for the big test, and then the guy that just goes in, still half drunk from the night before, and just kind of, like, coasts his way through the exam. <laughs> and they both do well, but neither can do it the other way. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's But it's also, like, if you can do stand-up, you know you, you have a stage presence, and, uh, some stand-ups can think on their feet more and are a little more act-outy, and that helps them. And then improvisers, um, they're coming at stand-up where they have stage confidence, at least. You know what I mean? Um, that's like a, And that's the hardest thing to get over is comfort on stage and comfort talking into a mic. And as an improviser, and I d- you know, did a lot of performing and hosting and stuff like that, sort of natural progression, I, I can handle myself alone on the stage. I'm not a very good joke writer. I'm not a very disciplined performer. And not very good at memorizing lines. Turns out I'm not really good at acting or anything that requires acting. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the biggest problem I had because I did stand-up for a bit. I could never do improv because people would come up to me after like, oh, I love that one bit when you were telling the joke and you were just shaking the whole time and stuttering. I was like, oh, that was no bit. I was having a nervous breakdown on stage. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know I can't rely on myself to have stage confidence or to just – go with a joke because i know the first thing that's going to pop into my head is either extremely dark or extremely like childish like poop joke that yeah. you know never seems to fly with other people so yeah stand think- up you, stand up you can get by on being a real uh weirdo and uh almost antisocial and um terrified uh, sta- yeah. uh, uh improv you need a little layer of you can be a weirdo but you need a little you need to demonstrate some comfort up there or else the crowd's going to be but like the stand-up persona of, like, the nervous, chattery, sort of miserable, you know, like, those great one-liner comics who sort of don't have much of a stage presence, um, mm-hmm. like Stephen Wright, although his lack of presence is his presence if you want to get into it, but those kind of guys are doing something, they're doing something different. That that kind of mentality won't, wouldn't fly. Um, like, I don't think a guy who's very good at one-liners would necessarily be good at improv, but, like... 
like Dimitri Martin is someone who's very good at one-liners. I don't know if he'd be good at improv, but he's also someone who's very smart and is charismatic on stage, so he could foreseeably learn it pretty quickly. You're telling me you can't see Mitch Hedberg doing the ass cats? I, yeah, I wonder. If that, <laughs> that's a very interesting point. I always think about that, but it's all a matter of like if they wanted to learn it. So like one of my yeah. other big one of my other big passions in life is rugby, and right now like the USA rugby team that's competing in the Olympics for the first time in like 90 years because there's uh, rugby's been out of it for so long. Features um, a, a guy who used to play for the Patriots, a guy who was a, a, a track star, and it's like that thing of like you have the skills. Give us four years to teach you the sport. Like if you if you have stage presence, if you are a creative person, if you have good taste in comedy, if you're funny, if you uh, if you you have the gift of gab, you could possibly be taught improv. But you can't be taught to be funny. Yeah. But like, so like you need to be funny to be a stand-up. But you can be taught joke structure and stuff, but you can never pull off humor. But if you're already funny, you could be taught improv. If you're already funny, you can maybe be taught stand-up. So it's like that for. Maybe you're not the best football player, but your football skill set that you're fast, you're strong, and you can tackle, and you can carry a ball, maybe it doesn't work out because football is so much more sought after. But you could potentially, if you learned rugby, play it at the same level as everyone else. I see. God, I don't know how you guys play rugby. That seems like single-handedly one of the more like aggressive, like devastating sports where you have to tape up your ear so they don't get ripped off of your head while you yeah. play. Like That seems insane. Yeah, it's... It, it is pretty insane, and that's kind of like the badge of uh, uh, we all the badge of honor we all carry with it because it is crazy. There's an expression called because here's the thing about rugby: it looks super dangerous, but nobody on the field has pads. So even if you're going to tackle someone, you can't hurt you. You're not you don't want to hurt yourself either. So it's like a sort of weird combination of yeah, we're all, everyone's hard and we're we're rucking and we're tackling, and we're mauling with no pads or anything like that, but no one else like i'm not i'm not feeling any more protected so i got to look out for myself so there's an expression like when they talk about soccer they say that's a gentleman sport played by hooligans <laughs> a rugby is a hooligan sport played by gentlemen oh nice cuz soccer is like the fancy sport where no one gets hurt but those people are all not all i should say all soccer. <laughs> <laughs> they're all pieces of smarmy shit yeah, but nobody like, fakes. No one fakes an injury in rugby. No one fakes like they got hit in rugby ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. There's there's so many photos of guys being injured, like getting dragged off, getting stitched up, and then back out by like the next quarter or something. Like, and it's ridiculous. But I guess it's kind of like when you see someone like headbutt another person, and you're thinking, how does that not hurt them? It does the same amount. They're, the person's just bracing for it. The yeah. person doing it's just expecting it. And Pretty I think much. that's the difference. The real thing about a headbutt, like as a fighting move, is you're supposed to take your forehead, a very hard part of your body, and put it into the bridge of the other guy's nose, a very soft part of someone's body. Yeah. But often in movies, it's displayed as smashing a head into another head. And it's like, that would hurt so fucking bad for both parties. Like, there's <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, well, here's a question. Uh, did you... Once you started the podcast, did you ever foresee that you'd be doing live shows with it? We're kind of in an interesting era where podcasts are like selling out venues and shit. Um, and I'm also curious, do you prefer uh, doing stand-up comedy to a live performance of a podcast? Which is which one do you like more? Oh, these th that is a very good question. I've only done my podcast live once, and it was a blast because while podcasting is new to me, live performance is something I've been liking uh, 
I've been enjoying doing for a long time. Sure. So it wasn't that crazy. It wasn't that crazy for me to jump up on stage. Um, I really, I really did enjoy myself doing it. So it was a good blending of two things I, I, I really like. But um, it's crazy how big some of these podcasts are. Like, how did this get made? It sells out Largo like two shows a night, which is amazing. I think they've actually they just had to stop like people from proposing at their shows because like how big it is and how popular it is. I that heard people... that on the last episode that they're going to say like like all right, no more engagements here. <laughs> yeah, the most like important moment of like two people's lives, they want to do it at a podcast like live show. It's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. And um like I've done a couple of uh live shows with Comedy Bang Bang, like I did one in New York City when they were on their tour. I just did one in San Diego during Comic-Con. And to do a like podcasting is great and there's great fans and you get a lot of tweets after about how good you did or how much they liked it or most likely how much they hated it or what you said was wrong (laughs) or how it was, how it was recorded incorrectly, something like that. But one thing you don't get is like immediate feedback to if what you're doing is funny or good or if people enjoy any element of it, you know? Yeah. But one cool thing was when I, for example, when I was doing the live show for comedy bang bang in um, New York city, the bit, like I came on first by off and I wasn't announced as part of the, uh, that show. And I was like, all right, let's take it from the top. All right, Scotty cut. You know, and I did like some stupid thing. Like after he talked for nine minutes, I was like, I didn't get any of that. Let's take it from the top <laughs> from off stage. And the crowd erupted. And I was like, Oh, that's not something that comes with doing podcasts is immediate that satisfaction, that energy you get from a live audience. So then walking out to applause as I played Gino Lombardo for a uh, crowd, like a huge theater full of people. It's a whole new level of excitement. That's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can't imagine podcasts existing without social media because if you didn't have social media, like ways of fans telling you that they're liking it or hating it, you would have no idea who's really listening or if it's doing well, because if you do it like us, where you're just recording even us as remotely or even in a studio like you guys do, it would just be you talking into a mic for like a hundred episodes. Like it wouldn't change unless right. you had immediate feedback and you can clearly get that from live shows. Yeah, totally. It's like a real game changer. It, it, it up until live performances, you have to look at, you have to see in the person you're recording with in the room. If what you are doing is funny, like that's the only way on comedy bang bang is if you break Scott or break someone else. And that's how, you know, like, Oh, okay. Now I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah, see, we can't see each other, so we just know for a fact that we're never funny, and yep, we just accept much. that. Yeah, that's hence the title of the show. But yep. uh, uh, I do yeah, wait till the first almost better than science silence love show <laughs> live show. Jesus Christ, I'm not the <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if we have a love show, that'd be even better. No I'm kidding. Oh God, well, no. almost better than science love show, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we teach you the science of love. Yeah, making it. There we go. Uh, but eleven proper nouns wrong in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but this is technically a video game podcast, so I might as well uh, point that the conversation in that direction. I, I know that you have some gaming background, as you've done two episodes on your own podcast about it, and have expressed interest. Uh, would you consider yourself much of a gamer? And what do you play these days? I would say, yeah, I'm somewhere in between, like. Uh, like, I am a gamer, but I'm also a married man who lives with his wife. So, you know, gaming <laughs> gaming is something that has to be done in very specific pockets. Gotcha. She lets me, but it's like, I can't hog the TV playing fucking uh, Skyrim all night while she, you know, if we're supposed to be catching up on our programs. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sweetie. Daddy's got his programs on tonight. Yeah. Flip on Netflix. 
So, yeah, I'm a bit of a gamer. I'll find, you know, I get into, like, you know, once every four, every four or five games that everybody's into, I get into one of those and really enjoy it. Um, I have some money now because I'm a TV actor before, I, you know, now that I'm not a college kid anymore. So I'll buy, I'll even buy games and play them for like an hour and be like, well, this is not for me. Like Star Wars Battlefront, I was so excited about. And then oh. I was like, uh, Fallout 4. I was like, but not for uh, me. Yeah. Same, same. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so glad that I'm not the only one. But yep. But so right now, the games, I, um, I'm also, a, this is crazy too, to be in, in, admitting involved. I, I'm a big fan of Flash games, like in browser games too. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. I like, I'm a congregate power user and, uh, I have, uh, been all over addicting games. You know, I, I, I download my, uh, AG packs every once in a while. God, and, I miss those I, days. I fucking love them. But now everything is, um, idle games. That's like the big thing. And mm-hmm. it's like, I'm not, I'm not into those. That like eliminates what I like about video games and <laughs> turns it into something else where it's just the, the push for achievements in new games is so intense. Like it must be. People just crave that validation of like, you achieved something, you got something, you unlocked this, you have one more ball, you have one extra life, all that shit. It's like, chill out. But the other game I'm, I'm just started playing again. Um, so I have two of my best friends from home. Uh, they don't, uh, they're like just guys I went to high school with and at junior high with. They're my buddies. They're normies. They're normies. They're civilians. If like you us. <laughs> uh, um, we get together, uh, we get together like, uh, once a week on over used to be over Xbox Live to play um, the what's the Tom Clancy game that I was just playing? Oh, the some, Division. The Division, yes. And I was playing that for a while. We got kind of tired of that, and now we're back playing Diablo three together. We're like running uh, riffs and shit again, and we just made seasonal characters. We're trying to. We're. I'm a huge Blizzard head. I like fucking love everything that Blizzard has put out. Like, I played Warcraft, Starcraft, Diablo, 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 and. Diablo's probably my favorite. I played a shit ton of Hearthstone, but mm-hmm. Diablo's pro- probably my favorite property. And then Skyrim is like maybe my all-time favorite game I ever played. Yeah, no, those are solid-ass games. You play a good selection. Have you gotten yeah, into so Overwatch? I would say also, sorry, just to jump in here one more time to mm-hmm. give more gamer credit, give myself some more gamer credit. At my age, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I think it's safe to say I beat 60% of 8-bit Nintendo games as well, and maybe 40% of Super Nintendo games. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah, that that's some serious gamer cred. Good, good to bring that up. Yeah, I forgot to mention that Nintendo was my babysitter from, like, uh, the age of 8 through uh, 18. <laughs> Very nice. So, but oh, that's great. What would you say is your personal favorite when it comes to a console? I mean, you could answer PC if you wanted to, but what, are you more of a PlayStation, Xbox, or Nintendo person, or are you just kind of like, I like them all? I'm currently an Xbox guy. Gotcha. Um, and I, I enjoy playing on Xbox. That's the I, I skipped PS3 and Xbox One, and then I got a 360, and now I'm on X. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, the original Xbox. Now yeah. I'm on Xbox One, and I play my Blizzard games on a Mac because it's uh, both compatible. But I, I was a longtime PC gamer too. Of course, I had like in college, I was the only kid. Uh, you know. There were some nerdy kids in my school, but I was, like, friends with all meatheads. But I was the only meathead who had, like, an LED light inside their tower. With, like, <laughs> like, a radioactive symbol cut out of it. So, like, I was like, what the fuck am I? I had, like, 25 fans running just yeah. so I could play, uh, like, Diablo at the highest bit rate possible. 
uh, it's nice having that kind of computer, but then when you get into podcasting, you really regret the fans. I have to, I have to have my old computer. Like I have a gaming one now that's just like that, but it's so loud. I have to use my old computer that's quieter just to record podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah currently on my Surface Pro. It's much quieter. But uh, uh but well, s- let me jump in real quick. Sure. Uh, since you're a big Blizzard guy, have you played any of Overwatch yet? Yes, and I was not that much of a fan. Really? Mm. My issue is not. A, I'm not a very I'm not very much into first-person shooters. Ah, uh, okay. Understandable. Because I think they just announced they had, like, uh, passed, like, half a million, or uh, made half a billion dollars off of it, I think. Holy Jesus hell. Christ. Yeah, so it's I huge. played a lot of it. I played it for, like, uh, my wife went out of town, and I was like, I need a game, and I just bought it, and she was gone for, like, six days, and I played three hours a night for, like, six days. And I'm just... My problem with first-person shooters is I don't enjoy them that much, and then I'm so instantly outclassed by other players yeah and it's it, the level of frustration rises so so hard like overwatch mm-hmm. i would just die so frequently that it was unenjoyable yeah and it was a first person shooter that was made with like a casual mindset they didn't they said while making it it's not going to be a very competitive game yeah and people became very competitive with it so a lot of the characters like hanzo who's the archer his hitboxes for his arrows, like to hit his target, are so huge, you can actually hit people when they're standing near a wall behind it, but the arrow <laughs> shoots past it. Like, so I can understand where, like, there's a lot of moments where you just go, fucking bullshit, goddamn, and throw the keyboard out. Like, it's infuriating at times. <laughs> you, like, run all the way to the where the fighting is and then die immediately, wait yes. to regen, and then you do it all again and die immediately. You're like, fuck this. Yep. And it's, your team won't push the cart, so the checkpoint won't change the location, so you have to run through the whole map. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I very much understand the frustration with it. I am I think I just hit level, like, 140 today, so I, I yes. put my time in. <laughs> Too much time. Yeah. Um Okay, I have a quick question for you. Do you have like an additional ten minutes to maybe play a conversation game with us? It's our stab at improv comedy on this show that we play every other episode or so. Oh Christ, it sounds like a terrible idea, but I'd love to participate. Oh yay. <laughs> okay. Well then we're gonna play I Was the Walrus. Alright. So the premise of the game is uh, there's three rounds. You're going to be facing off against Bren, and I'll be the judge. And I basically give you guys categories, and as the judge, you give me your answers, and I pick who's the winner. It's pretty simple. It's basically like apples to apples without the cards, but it's got like a kind of comedy twist to it. But I guess we can start with uh, round one. Category is if you could have any convenient machine serve whatever you'd like what would it serve oh, and 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 also before i've almost forgot a, a key thing once you have your answer don't just blurt it out uh let me know that you're ready and then we'll count down from three and you'll both give me your answers at the same time okay we're tr- i'm trying to guess what he's gonna say oh no you you would tell me what you would want to come from the convenient machine you just okay. say 
whatever's the you think would be the best answer or the funniest answer. So, for instance, the reason I even bring it up, I saw an article on Facebook before starting the podcast. Someone uh, posted, oh, this this university is going to be the first university with a convenient machine that dispenses pizza. And I was like, that's fucking awesome. So I'm thinking to myself, instead of pizza, what would you like your convenient machine to dispense? Copy that. I'm on to it. I got you now. And yeah, oh, I, got it. I got it. I'm ready to go. Let okay. All right. How about you, Bren? Oh, I'm ready. All right. Three, two, one, go. A customizable sandwich machine like the uh, movie theater soda machines. Whoa. Okay. Mine would be just like the Matrix where you can just plug it into the back of your neck and it would just inject cheesecake like straight into your bloodstream and it would just course through your whole body. <laughs> You're going to die doing that? I'm definitely I'll going to die happy. I know, but I'm going with John's answer because that's just amazing. Because think about the variety in that. If they could actually accomplish su- such a machine, it would solve world hunger. Yeah, I, I, don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how that machine would actually work, the logistics behind it. That wasn't my duty to sort that no, out. No, that's, that's yeah. fair You're the designer, game. not the engineer. Nice. No, well, that but was... Ar- arguably, my machine could also solve world hunger. Because once you do it once, you would immediately die, so there'd be no one left to feed. There we go. Fair enough. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, that's <laughs> solid. Um, okay, well, that leads us on to round two. So it's a best of three scenario. So if John wins, he uh, basically shuts Bren out. So let's see what you come up with. If gravity were reversed, what would be your best method of staying on Earth? Ooh, uh, gravity were reversed. Okay. I got it. All right. Wow, you're quick, man. Uh, I got mine. All right. Ready, guys? Three, two, one, go. Monkey bars that are on the floor. That is genius! All right. <laughs> You're so passionate Dude, about that because idea. I, that's exactly what came to my mind when I thought of it. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> mine would be having a couple of turtles, like a little like box turtles, with strings around them, and you would just lick the underside of them and throw them above you and to suction cut suction cup them onto the ceiling or ground or wherever's above you and you would just kind of like you would just kind of like spider-man swing from like around the ceiling but with turtles as suction cups uh, yeah so you're is there a reason why you need to have turtles there like you can't just- <laughs> i mean there's a lot of turtles around my area it's very woodsy i feel like they'd be plentiful for me at least i they're not necessary but I'm just going to go with that answer for spidering around with turtles in mind. That just sounds great. So that Because then you got a bunch of little buddies, and you can name them Donatello and Leonardo, and then you can kill one of them, and then do a terrible Michael Bay reboot. And another reason I'm not going with the monkey bars is because, A, I had previously put thought into that, and I'm like, that would be genius and great, but also I would definitely slip and be fucked. Right. I was thinking, like, you can, like, put your feet underneath them, like, uh, like, like when someone holds your feet to... Do sit-ups, like a Roman chair kind of thing. Oh, that's... And you could put them to stand. And then if you want to move, if you want to, like, bustle around, you just go inverted and just fucking run around on your hands. Yeah. <laughs> that's genius, too. Oh, turtle man. twins, though. We'll get yeah. to the third question. I'll do the turtles. Let's see here. Uh, we do have a third final category, and that is, uh, what's the most unlikely thing to find at the bottom of the ocean? The most unlikely thing? Yes. Okay. Got it. I think I got mine. All right. We're going to go with it. Uh, round three. Three, two, one, go. An above ground pool. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> 
I was going to say yourself. Ooh. You have an existential realization. You find you yourself. Really you find yourself in the Marina's Trench. Uh, actually, think of that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Or it's... quite literally, you find a clone of yourself and one of you has to kill the other one for the air tank. Up to wow. you. Wow. On your way down, a mermaid version of yourself is swimming up and you guys oh. kind of look at each other and go, let's just not even deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> or, or it's a Disney Channel original movie where you switch places and the mermaid has to pretend to be you and you have to pretend to be the mermaid. And Holy they're drying shit. out on land and you're already dead by the time you hit the bottom. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> That is insane. I, I'm definitely going with an above-ground pool because I can't even picture it because that that's just amazing. Uh, but no, finding yourself at the bottom of the ocean, that'd be something to be proud of too. Finding yourself at the bottom of the ocean sounds like a self-help book like Zen <laughs> Motorcycle Maintenance or something. Yeah. yeah, it's the book James Cameron wrote after he did that billion-dollar expedition and didn't make a movie of it, I think. There we go. Um, but that was I Was a Walrus. Thanks for playing, John. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, of course. So let's actually, that leads me to my last kind of wrap-up question. I usually ask our game devs a similar question, but I'll be asking you this in regards to comedy. How uh, did you get into game dev- Oh, no, not that question? No. Uh, if you could give any advice to aspiring comedians, what would it be? Um, who cares what other comedians do? Do what you want to do and do it as often as possible. And guess what? You don't deserve success yet. <laughs> Whoa, that's actually awesome. Um, it's, it's- I don't mean it to be like that obnoxious, like, you know, like, look to your left, look to your right, only one of you is going to make it in this business. But it's more like, it took me hearing some interview with a screenwriter whose name is escaping me at this point, and it's frustrating hearing, like, I wrote a screenplay uh, early on in my career, and I was like, sent it to people, and it got no real traction. I was like, oh, this is bullshit. They don't like my funny stuff. And then I forget some screenwriter that I'm a fan of who wrote a great movie is like, yeah, this movie that you like of mine is actually the 11th screenplay I wrote. The first 10, nothing happened with. I was like, well, who am I to bitch then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it was uh, Thomas Lennon and uh, Ben Grant have that book, uh, How to was it How to Succeed and Make Funny Movies in Hollywood, but the funny is crossed out in the title. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, those guys, That's a great book, by the way, too. If you're ever thinking of writing, that is a wonderful book to mm-hmm. read for that. Um, yeah, it's it's exactly that. It's exactly like... No one, like, you just have to be the best. And even the best doesn't get booked. Someone younger than you, someone funnier, someone less funny, someone more connected, someone who plays the game more, someone who does a different character than you. Like, there's going to be a million reasons why people get booked before you or why they pop before you do. And you can't let that justify anything. You just keep doing what you want to do. And if you're not doing anything, you're not allowed to sit around and complain. Yeah, I think a lot of people agree that Louis C.K. is one of the best stand-ups of all time. Like, he's definitely up there with the greats. And even he didn't, like, get his own show until he was, like, well, there's Lucky Louie, but I think he was, like, 35 or so. Yeah. And then Louis, the actual show, was, like, when he was 40-something. Yeah, and he I, and he's, like, been the best or one of the best and know, known that. People have known that about him for, like, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was the head writer on the Dana Carvey show. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. I miss that show. Hey, if you if you wanna if you wanna have like a pretty exciting comedy nerd out, look at the writing staff. Of, look up the writing staff of the Dana Carvey show. Uh, I, you'll lose your shit. 
I always see stuff like that where it's like, there's so many amazing people involved. Why is it canceled? Like where you see like amazing people now, but where they were back when they were starting out. And it's just like, God, like Mr. Show and stuff like that. Oh, totally. Steve Carell and Steve Colbert are both on the uh, Dana Carvey show as sketch actors. The writers include Louis C.K. Um, shit. To, I'm trying to remember who else. Uh, Dino Stamatopoulos. John Slater, a bunch of people. Yeah, Charlie Kaufman, (laughs) the writer of uh, Adaptation. Oh, Jesus. um, He was a writer on that show. How fucking crazy of a... how crazy of a fucking uh, staff is that? That is pretty fucking wild. That's amazing. Um. Well, also, I guess this is uh, a good opportunity for us to give you a chance to plug all your stuff to our listeners, uh, how few we have. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Sure. Um, you can check me out uh, on the High and Mighty podcast. Please download my podcast. I, if you're listening to your podcast because you're a fan of video games, I do some episodes about video games. But video games come up in most episodes. Um, yeah, I can I can agree with that. I listen pretty regularly. <laughs> um, and uh, what else? You can uh, follow me on Twitter at John Gabris, and you can keep an eye out there for everything I've got going on. Um, and hopefully some more stuff down the pike. But those are the big things right now. All right, totally. And uh, Bren, how about you? I'm on Twitter at abts brendan, and I think that's it. Yeah. I ain't doing shit. Cool. <laughs> And listener, if you like our show, please give us a like or follow on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is ABT Silence. Uh, I personally Twitch stream every Tuesday and Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at twitch.tv slash ABT Silence. But we really can't thank you enough for joining us, John. It's been a total blast. We hope to stay in touch. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for guys. You know what? This was just about better than science. Uh, silence. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> We're changing the name of the podcast to Almost Better Than Science, and it's thanks to John Gabris, everybody. <laughs> I fucked up, but accidentally made a callback. So there you go. <laughs> nice. Oh. Almost better than science. It's There's like no mysticism. <laughs> <laughs> Almost better than science is like mysticism and like herbology and all this dumb shit, like yeah. crystals. It's like measuring the size of your brain for uh, curing shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds too smart for us. But hey, thanks for listening, listener, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, yeah. dude. Appreciate it. Yeah.